This is The Rundown. Welcome to episode two in a special season of programmes coming to you from Milan, where our roving Monocle24 team is bringing you all the developments of Design Week. We'll be crossing to them in a moment. I'm Robert Bound, your host, and I'm tasked with keeping you in shape and on your toes. Every day on the programme, we'll take you on a guided tour of some of Milan's best running routes, from three kilometres to 15. We've got all the bases covered. We'll stop off on the way to sample the culture and the cuisine, of course, you can enjoy en route, and we'll meet some top design talent who are running around the city too during Salone del Mobile and others who'll stop by Nike Space on Via Orobia to share some exclusive insights with the Rundown team. So limber up, check your headphones are secured and get ready to hit the streets. This is the Rundown on Monocle 24. Now, to kick things off and ensure your appreciation of design is given a workout as well as your cars, it's over to our Monocle 24 outside broadcast team in Milan with today's big stories out of Salone and a guest or two, of course. Milan, this is London calling. Marcus Hippie, over to you. Thanks, Rob. So, here in Milan, it's bright and early, and one of these Monocle runs in collaboration with Nike is about to begin shortly. And, well, one of the people who are going to be running today is Monocle's editor-in-chief, Tyler Brule. Hello, Tyler. What is your feeling now that you are almost about to take off? Well, initial feeling, Marcus, it's incredible that we have this absolutely cloudless morning uh, in Milan. It could have been many other things. Uh, the forecast for later in the week doesn't look great. We have an absolutely stunning morning. We probably have about a turnout of, it looks like 60 or so people this morning, uh, not to mention, of course, Nike people who are here as well. So it's going to be good. They've also had, uh, people can uh, have a five minute 30 pace per K or a six minute 30 pace per K as well. My only sort of small area of disappointment, actually, no, I was about to say, I was disappointed that there were no monocles. What a timing. They, that they've just walked through. Uh, we have our Jamie and, and Kiara uh, are lined up um, and ready for the run as well. So we'll give you a bit of an update uh, after we've uh, gone through our courses uh, for this uh, premier running event uh, here in Milan. What is your feeling about Monaco staffers? How competitive are we when you look at, for example, Jamie over there and Kiara? Do you think that, that deep down they kind of want to beat you in the run and show off? Well, if I look at my colleague Jamie, he's probably trying to psych me out because he has black business socks on with his Nikes and he has a jumper and so it probably looks like he's not really up for the challenge but then again he's taken his glasses off Marcus so uh, so, so this might mean he's uh, he's, he's built for speed uh, Kiara on the other hand looks like she, she's ready to go she's looking limber on on her toes so uh, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch uh, there's about uh, I think there's about 10 of us here from the magazine uh, this week, so I'm, I'm also keen to see who's going to come up with the run on Thursday as well. Well, I've promised personally. Yeah, you know, I know. So uh, I'm going to miss it. I've because I've got to get to Vienna, uh, as you know, because we've got the the conference coming up uh, in Vienna. Uh, it's also I was just going to say um, we do haven't spent a lot of time talking about the fair so far, and we saw some some really interesting things. Uh, I, we were at Rimadesio, a company very famous for doing their storage systems. One of the um, really, I thought, sort of interesting plays to an international market is that they've developed a very large table. You see sort of the changing sort of dimensions of furniture. And this was a deliberate play to China. The table actually had a, an integrated Lazy Susan in it, so you can spin all of your Szechuan dishes around the table. And this is something I don't think we would have seen before. So you know, here you see these, these Italian companies really making a play for Asian markets, but in a way which is hopefully not 
compromising, I think, their, their core values. At the same time, then, I think you look at, at something like what Nike is doing with their, their, the nature of, of motion. Yeah, or I think early on, you had a lot of companies moving into the Salone space, maybe not you know, 100% sure how they, they wanted to, to represent themselves. And I think here you have a very good integration of design, uh, I think very much focusing on all of their fly, fly knit technology and working with a really great international lineup of designers, the likes of Martino Gumper uh, and many others uh, doing some really, really interesting uh, collaborations with them. Well, when you look at what's happening later this week here at Saloni, what other events or launches would you like to highlight? Uh, there's a couple of things uh, which stand out if I, if I look across the week. I'm very keen to see a lot of the textile work from the company Society. Uh, they're part of the Lamonta group, uh, so they always have a, a great lineup. I'm keen to see what they're doing. Something which is not furniture focused, but uh, we've been following the work of, of Punkt, uh, which is the Ticino-based company, which of course have done you know, the classic GSM phone, but it's been reimagined by, by Jasper Morrison. Uh, I want to see what uh, tricks they've got up their sleeves. And then, of course, you know, there's all of the big players as well. You have to go and see what the likes of Multani are doing. What it, you know, what's B&B Italia up to? Boffi, for example. And, of course, this is Euro Cucina this year. So, uh, you know, people who are very familiar with Salone know that uh, it alternates every year. One year, it's Euro Luce. It's focused on lighting. The next year, uh, of course, there is a focus on kitchens. And that, that's this year as well. And, of course, Marcus, I know you'll have to be spending time there. Uh, and talking about that for the menu as well. Absolutely. Well, Tyler, it's almost runtime, so I'm going to let you go now, okay, and I catch up with you after you're back very after good. that 5K. Great. Thank you very much. Now back to Robert Bound in the London studio. He's going to take you through today's running route. We're headed for Porto di Cinese. Thanks, Marcus, and we'll have more from our team at Salone and meet some more guests in the Nike space at Via Orobia a little later in the programme. Time now, though, to hit the streets, parks, highways and byways of Milan for your daily running guide. If you're after setting a gentle pace and maybe clocking up seven kilometres or so, then Route 2 around Porta Ticinese makes perfect sense. As you pound the pavement through this district, you'll get a chance to see some prominent architecture, new and old. There's the Roman-era columns of San Lorenzo at the start and finish of the run, and also along the way, there's the hard-to-miss 21st century addition to the campus of Milan's Bocconi University, done in stone that was designed by Ireland's Grafton architects. But a more subtle and very much Milanese architecture can be found if one slows to a jog and examines up close a few streets in this area. The work of architect Luigi Cacciadominione is known for its understatement and you'll run past a lot of his architecture in the city. The architect himself, now a sprightly 102 years old, is famous for staying out of the spotlight. He prefers to let his work stand on its own, be it the smooth ceramic clinker tiles on facades or his public lighting for foyers he designed for Atsucena. To get a better feel for the world of Caccia Dominioni, we spoke to the Italian architect Tiziano Vudafiere, who we caught up with at the restaurant Pisacco, where Vudafiere himself used one of Caccia's Atsucena designs for decorating the interior. As I always said to my wife, my French wife, once she will understand Caccia Dominioni and the Torre Velasca, she will understand Milano and she will appreciate Milano. Caccia is the Milanesita. He shaped not only Milano in itself, because he built a lot, but he shaped a style, 
an understatement, which is typical of the Milanese modernity, an elegance, which is typical of the Milanese modernity. Caccia has at least two or three different faces, a strong relationship with the tradition in his buildings, looking backward to look forward, and uh, if you think to his own house in front of the Sant'Ambrogio or uh, the Via Cavalieri del Santo Sepolcro or the where Floss is in Corso Monforte, it's incredible the mix of modernity and tradition in the same thing. I mean, you cannot say it is vernacular, not at all. It's completely modern, but it is Milanese and traditional somehow. It is in fact timeless, which is an abused term that we use today for many different things, but, but it is timeless in fact. A second signature and the second theme of Caccia uh, is the brown ceramic that he used to cover a group of buildings that has been copied all over the north of Italy, not only in Milan. This material, it's clinker, technically. It's a banal and very technical material that became noble within the, the, the Caccia uh, architectures. If you look at Piazza Carbonari, Via Ippolito Nievo, Via Farini, the, the monastery, the way he used clinker as a as an embroidery, it, 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 it's, it's just incredible. And the buildings are very simple. I mean, to understand Caccia and to understand this Milano, you need to focus on things. There is nothing extremely spectacular. It's understated, but really gorgeous, as look as you focus on them. Another signature of Caccia, another type of building that he almost invented. If you want to go and see Via Massena in front of the park, it's a, it's a housing building. The facade nearly don't exist. It's covered by sliding shutters and windows. And it's incredible how light it is, how elegant it is, and there is nearly no uh, say no hard material, no stone, no ceramic. Once you will end this journey, you will understand when everybody is talking about the Milanese understatement, subtlety. I mean, this is Caccia Dominioni more than anyone else in the Milanese architecture, in the Milanese modern architecture after Second World War. He was himself, and then the others, in my opinion. That was Milanese architect Tiziano Vudafiere. Now, if you're needing to refuel en route two, then head over to Via Vigevano near the Dacena, the former hub of Milan's Navili Canal area and once a canal port. There you'll find an establishment that specializes in what Italians have long been famous for, and I'm not talking pizza and pasta, I'm talking about espresso. Among its hearty breakfast and smoothies, all-day cafe come deli shop Taglio has cornered the Milanese market in great coffee. 
Let's hear from Talio's owner, Raffaele San Giovanni, on how he's shaking up the city's cafe scene and why he's not afraid of the imminent arrival of Starbucks in Italy. So my name is Raffaele San Giovanni and, and Talio is, is actually my place. It's, it's the one that I've decided to launch two years and a half ago. Uh, it's a good mixture of different kind of stuff. It's an international concept compared to what we used to have in Milan. During the day, it's half a daily and half a coffee shop. We're doing third wave coffee. We, we're selling our own delicatessen kind of products. Every single product has been chosen by us going directly to every small producer. It, it, whatever it's meat or, or um, cheeses or ham or whatever, or vegetables, it's all coming from the cherry picking that we've done throughout Italy. We're serving very good coffee, third wave coffee from 8 in the morning to midnight. And during the day, it's again, it's more a daily place which you could come, stay and open your computer and work here and drink whatever you like. If it, it's a coffee or a smoothie, it's also a place for people to come pass by and relax and have a bit of refueling coming here. Uh, it's everything natural, there's no need to be 100% biological or 100% zero mindset. What is good has to come from, from what has to come basically. So we're now roasting our coffee on our own, we do our own blend here that's just been launched. And it's a, it's a concept that is passing through breakfast in the morning, daily during the day, a different kind of lunch that you could have, either it's salad or restaurant menu or panini, sandwiches, um, just meat or dishes that are coming out from the shop. And then it's aperitivo night from 6 to 8 and from 8 onwards it's dinner for everyone. So it's a, it's a complex contest, it's a complex place, but it has something good for everyone at, at that specific hour. It's like a scheduling TV. Well, so in, in my place, Talio, it's, we're running a coffee shop. It's a third-wave coffee shop, and everything started from La Marzocco machine. It's a beautiful espresso machine. It's something that I've made in my life. Uh, it was like almost four years ago. It then brought me into the third-wave business. La Marzocco, it's a piece of art. It's steel and crafted in Florence, so it's close to Florence in Scalperia. Uh, it's, a, it's a piece of design that comes from the 1928, the very first time that they designed a very f oh, an espresso coffee machine. It's not well known. It's like, uh, to me, it's, and to the rest of the world, it's like a Ferrari. It's like, uh, well, it, it's something really typical design, Italian and crafted, done the very IA. It's an high-end machine, it's not for everyone, but the best baristas all over the world are using a Mazak machine because of its technology and because the way it's done. With La Marzocco espresso coffee machine, we're doing very different kind of coffees. We say being into third wave means offering to our clients different kind of coffees, different specialty coffee. We have now our own house blend that we, we finally roasted on our own. We're buying raw coffee, green coffee from Falcon Coffee in UK. And we're roasting here our own blend that is a mixture of 50% from Nicaragua and 50% from Brazil. It's an 100% Arabica and it's a specialty coffee roasted slightly darker than usual just to meet the Italian taste that is typical, different from what you could find outside. But we're also offering different kind of blends that are coming from our uh, best partner down in Greece. 
Tough Coffee is providing us with three different blends. One is Delirio, it's three different coffee from Nicaragua in a blend that is pre-acid and it tastes of sweet lemon at the end or rosebud. And rosebud it's more so bodied in a way, more velvety, but it's again getting into acidity the way we think. We're roasting four different kind of single origin from Irgeshafe to Geisha to Coe Colombia and Nicaragua that we used to do our own pour over or fully mesh on Cairo preparation. So we do long coffee, again, 100% Arabica, roasted here and offered to the Italian clients that are start getting into this world. And that's Route 2 for you on The Rundown. Let's recap. Route 2 is around 7 kilometers. If not today, weekends are the best time to hit this part of Milan. No question that the route highlight is the QC Termespa. Its Turkish baths, whirlpools and saunas are just the thing to unwind post-workout. Today's Nike Plus Run Club tip, as we've been hearing, refuel at Taglio. I recommend a smoothie. And to run further, return to Bocconi campus and hit Dravitza Park for some serious laps. On tomorrow's episode of The Rundown, Route 3, Central Storico and Giardini Publici. Short and sweet at three and a half kilometres, but you're guaranteed to have a song in your heart as you run. You'll have no choice as you motor past La Scala. Today's edition of The Rundown continues with Monocle's team in Milan. We'll hear what's in store at Salone today and find out who's dropped in to meet the team. Lengthen that stride now. You're on the rundown on Monocle 24 with me, Robert Band, and I'm pausing to take a breath and a hastily grab bottle of water. While I check my pulse, let's cross back to a man with a resting heart rate like a basking crocodile, the ever-cool Marco Sippi. Wow, I haven't heard that before, Rob. Thank you. So here in Milan at Nike's exhibition space on Via Orobia is one of the highlights of this year's Salone del Mobile. Nike has collaborated with 10 designers who explore the theme of the nature of motion. One of the chosen ones is Greg Lynn, Los Angeles-based architect and designer, who has been getting quite a lot of attention for his designs when it comes to the use of new technology. And here at Salone he has created an intelligent microclimate chair, which cools or heats an athlete depending on what is needed. Let's hear from Greg himself. I thought it was interesting to design a chair for the Salone, but there's so many chairs at the Salone. I thought, let's try to do a piece of equipment and a piece of sporting apparatus that really connects with Nike's sensibility at a fairly practical level. And that is actually something, I tried that chair myself and I was wondering how come no one's done that before because it can actually be beneficial for athletes. Sure. I mean, the collaboration with Nike was really great because I was paired with John Hoke and I came to John and I said, I have this material in carbon fiber that can go from rigid to soft. It's never been used, never been done. I want to try it. And John said, well, this is perfect. Why don't you think about a basketball player who's worth $30 million a year sitting in a folding chair? Couldn't we do something better? And the collaboration really started with this idea of having an athlete move into an environment, have it measure them, and then have it be a microclimate and really change like a little room 
their state whenever they go in and out of it. And that was really where we started from. So to talk about the principles, so you have an athlete sitting down on that chair and then basically the chair starts taking some measurements. Sure. We, uh, we have weight sensors. So at the beginning of a game, we could take a baseline and then every time an athlete sits in it, we know how much they need to be hydrated because of how much weight they've lost by perspiring. We also can take their skin temperature so we get a pretty good idea of how much we need to heat them up or cool them down. And so they don't cramp up, we have places to heat different muscle groups. And we can do all this dynamically. Maybe, maybe I could sit down and you can tell me what happens at the same time, okay? Sounds great. Perfect, so I just sat down here. What is, what is happening now under me? Okay, so you're sitting on Peltier chips, which we can selectively heat or cool you with because your spine, and we worked with Nike biologists and trainers on this, is where you have a lot of blood flow. You'll feel a lot of cold happening on your spine and around your shoulders and neck. That is true. And then on your lower body, you'll feel heating under your thighs. And if you were six foot six tall and 260 pounds. I would be totally ready soon to go and play basketball. Then you'd feel your calves heating up. So what we can do is we can bring your temperature down we can keep you warm and ready to go back into play. And then that hissing sound you hear is all around the perimeter of the chair. There's a flow of air that also helps cool an athlete down um, and take away the moisture. I'm loving this. Was it clear from the very beginning that this is what you wanted to create in collaboration with Nike? Or did you have other ideas on the pipeline as well? Well, I haven't been to the Salona in a long time. I, I used to come here and do things with furniture manufacturers. And with Nike, I didn't want to do a piece of furniture. I wanted to do a piece of technology. And I really think that there's a lot of pressure coming on the, you know, the world of, of Mobile from other partners, from Google and their company Nest, from a company like Nike. I mean, people are expecting technical objects now rather than inert objects. And this is really not about beauty, it's not about new materials, it's about incorporating intelligence and technology into the built environment and into furniture. So that's really where I started, that's what I wanted to do with Nike. I think it's very interesting Nike is here in this world bringing their knowledge into the built environment. So Greg, as you pointed out, it's interesting that Nike is here at Saloni. What kind of a challenge was it for yourself to do something with a sports brand like that? Well. I always try to stay open and I try to collaborate. And what was the most important, I think, is getting to work with a biologist, a trainer, an athlete, as well as Nike's designers. But for me, really, it was about a kind of deeper, broader knowledge of technology and performance than just talking shapes and materials and fabrication. And, and for me, that's what was the most exciting, the most challenging, I would say, as well because I'm not used to that, but it's what I crave. You said that you haven't been in Saloni for a few years now. Um, how important is it, do you think, for designers to actually be here every year, or how would you, how would you evaluate the importance of Saloni nowadays? Well, this is where you find out where the innovation is happening. I think it's important that, you're, that people are here. Um, what's really the most exciting, though, is the diversity of industries that are starting to come to Salone. It's not just the furniture industry. It's changing. Yeah, it's automobiles, it's sports, it's apparel, it's all kinds of stuff. It's art. And I think that's where the world is going. 
you can't just do a nice sofa anymore. You actually have to have an idea and you have to be innovative. And where is that macroclimatic chair going, by the way, after this event? Well, as you said, once you see it, you want to know why you don't already have one. <laughs> I think uh, there are a lot of sports where if a team had one of these, they'd have a very distinct advantage over their competitors. So what does that mean? Are you in talks with, well, with some sports organizations now? Well, look, I think uh, nobody's ready to say anything, but this is all about performance. And I think performance is uh, where Nike lives. And they, they live with a lot of different sports. And I think this will have a lot of play in a lot of different places. Anywhere where you're in and out a lot, uh, this thing makes a lot of sense. Not in this particular configuration, but the concept of it and the construction of it could could have a lot of different applications. You make me very curious now. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm curious too. <laughs> That was American architect and designer Greg Lin, whose microclimate chair has been getting a lot of attention here at Nike's exhibition. And by the way, Monaco's editor-in-chief Tyler Brule has joined one of Monaco's runs here at Saloni, and he is just about to cross the finishing line. Tervetuloa, Marcus. How was it? Good, yeah. I, I thought it was going to be 5K. It was 6.7, but that's uh, it's good. It's uh, amazing. It's just a great way to see a city as well. You think you know Milan, and it's great. We stopped in three places, introduced to great architecture, and also just meeting nice readers as well. Thanks, Tyler. Whew, that run sounded like tough business. Anyway, you should not forget that there is going to be another Monaco run as well tomorrow morning, bright and early. I'm going to be there. I hope to see you there as well. Now, Rob, it's back to you. We're very much in the home straight of today's programme, but before we punch the air in rapturous delight, this time once again to talk about the very best in design. Every day on the show, we're running through some timeless design picks from some of Monocle's editors. Today, it's the turn of Monocle's senior correspondent, Sophie Grove, who, sitting particularly comfortably, is ready to begin. Well, one object, I think, really sums up really progressive and interesting approach to design is Ilmari Tapiovara's Kiki chair. And he's a Finnish uh, modernist. He started working in the 40s in Finland, uh, making chairs in a sort of uh, democratic way, trying to bring design to the masses. So the Kiki uh, was actually designed in the 60s, 1960. And it's just wonderfully simple. Basically a steel frame chair with upholstered, very angular seat. But it's funny when you look at it because it's so familiar and that's because it's been replicated so many times. It's basically the kind of office furniture of the future. And in a way, it, it, it shows that he succeeded because what he did is introduce this chair into the sort of vernacular of sort of mass design and it became absorbed. It changed the way big companies like Artec, who now still produce the chair, but Herman Miller and all these big manufacturers of office furniture approached design. And it did make it into the homes of, of poorer people, of average people, especially in Finland. So I think, in a way, that functionalism and that idea, that those social ideals, uh, are what really strike me about this chair. 
Sophie Grove's appreciation there of the Kiki chair. And that is your Wednesday rundown. More from me, Robert Bound, and from Monocle's Milan crew through until Saturday here on Monocle 24. Tomorrow I'll be guiding you around the third of our city running routes and we'll be hailing the marvellous Milanese signage created by Dutch-born design legend Bob Norda, among plenty of other delights, of course. Today's show is produced by Tom Edwards and Toby Hammond, who's also running the desk in Milan and doing the editing too. Special thanks to Marcus Hippie, of course, and to Monocle's correspondent in the city, Ivan Carvalho. From me, Robert Bounds, thanks for tuning in. <laughs>